0: Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Katherine Van Sickle, the stories-based podcast that interviews donors, thought leaders, and professionals in the field of fundraising. Hi, Chris. How are you?
1: Good, Katherine. How are you?
0: Do you see the boxes behind me?
1: I do. It it seems like you're packing for a big (laughs) move.
0: As we speak, I am in the process of packing and moving. Very excited to have Chris with me to share that I'm going to be leaving New York. And actually, as you're listening today, it's my first day at Yale University. I will have moved to New Haven. It's very exciting to think about that being done because there's a lot of work between this moment and May 15th but I have decided to take the next professional step and so I thought who better to have on this episode than Christopher who did it himself just this past summer I thought we could talk about all of the factors that go into a decision like that and maybe you could give me some encouragement on how it's going since you have a good six plus months on me with this
1: Yeah, well congratulations Catherine so excited for you thank you Tell, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're taking on at Yale?
0: It feels like a combination of all of the things that I've done along my career, and I'm able to put them all together. I spent quite a bit of time in higher ed. I started in the annual fund at my alma mater. Then I went on to do major gifts at a complex research institution, Columbia, And then I decided to try working at an independent school and working with parents. And so this role encompasses all of those things. I'll be the director of parent gifts, managing the team that has the parents fund. So there's that piece back again. And then Yale's in a campaign. So we're going to be doing serious major gift work and volunteer management. So all of these pieces are coming together.
1: Well, that sounds amazing. And it and that sounds like they're, they're very lucky to have you given your background. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Thank you. And it's funny, I think everyone thinks that parents are so different. And I'm just not really sure that's true. I think you're talking to them at a different stage of their lives. And it's a slightly different lens. But I'm excited to see what it's like from the higher ed side.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still kind of the core parts of our job. We're trying to learn people, their values, what they care about, and Mm -hmm. then share with them how they can impact things. And I worked a little bit with parents when I was at Cornell. And one of the things I always loved working about non-alumni parents with the institution was you got to be that introductory face to them in some ways. Like you got to tell them about what's special about this institution. And I always felt like that part was fun to be able to bring that to them and open their world about what what this place is Uh, and I love that you already have a yell hoodie on I
0: know I this is my first day that I wore it out because I'm getting excited and I'm super proud to be joining the team my new boss sent me this hoodie and it made me feel really welcome so I actually think that's a great tip if you are having someone coming gesture of sending a hoodie goes a very long way. (laughs) You made moves. I'm making moves. Let's talk about your process. Are we looking at a year ago?
1: We probably started interviewing last April or something like that. So yeah, actually, this is crazy timing. It's It's probably a year from my beginning interactions with Stanford. To
0: be clear... Christopher lived a few blocks away from me on West End Avenue. We were neighbors. He was at Cornell and he moved across the country to work at Stanford. And I remember asking you, like, are you scared (laughs) so far away?
1: Yeah, it is. It really was far. So, no, how did it happen? I think I actually saw this opportunity on LinkedIn and I had known someone in HR at Stanford and had just... connected with them to try to learn more about what this opportunity was and just a little background so the role i'm in now is the associate dean for development with our office of vice provost and dean of research which means i lead the fundraising for nine of our independent research centers institutes and initiatives and so wow. these are the interdisciplinary research parts of stanford that don't n- neatly fit within any of our existing schools so one of the things I've learned about Stanford is there's never a dull moment. And working with nine different centers that cover everything from the social sciences to policy, the foreign policy, to artificial intelligence, there's just never a dull moment. There's tons to learn here. And, and you know, that's kind of what drew me to this position was that it was a, it was unique among what I understood as associate dean positions. It wasn't a traditional school and it offered a lot of variation and complexity and those are the things that i think got me excited about it.
0: It sounds like a lot of the donors you're working with are not necessarily like they're potentially friends.
1: Yeah, actually none of our institutes have a built-in like a natural constituency because the, because these institutes aren't the degree granting part of Stanford and many of them so like some of our newest ones like we have one called Stanford Data Science and our Institute for Human-Centered Artificial Intelligence. These are less than five years old. So not only don't they have natural alumni, so to speak, of them for themselves, even the alumni who were on campus 10, 20 years ago, these things didn't exist. And so there's not even a a place for those alumni to necessarily think to come back to. Uh, So we do have to do a lot of our own pipeline building, or we do a lot of collaboration with our colleagues across the university who work with donors. And so, and actually it just made an offer for a new discovery oriented gift officer in our team to help us try to drive some of that pipeline work as well, um, because we have to be really proactive about that.
0: So do you think that experience that you had of creating and building the discovery team at Cornell was one of the reasons that A, you were attracted to this role, but B, that they were attracted to you?
1: I think that was probably something I offered as a pitch about what can yeah. I bring to this because I worked with a lot all of our deans and faculty at Cornell, right? But they were on the those instances were always on individual prospects. When I wanted to bring a dean into a relationship, it wasn't at the more strategic planning of how are we going to in the in a big picture set our priorities and then. Activate all of our development partners and accomplish those priorities, right? W- and working with faculty directors, so that part was really new for me. As was as has been working more on principal gifts and that level of prospect. So those are things that I I was looking to gain from the role mm-hmm. and what I could bring to the role. I you know I think I pitched something about pipeline building and knowing discovery. I also think you know one of the things the discovery team as well as just working at Cornell really taught me was a about collaboration and how to establish really effective relationships with colleagues throughout a major organization and knowing you are never going to accomplish all your goals with just your team alone. You know, that's not how development works at any place.
0: There are a couple of inflection points, at least in the early career. I think it's really hard to break into your first major gift officer role, or maybe we can go back. First frontline.
1: Frontline role. Yep.
0: First major gift. First management. And then the thing that I came to realize is it's not management's not black and white, it's management and then like leading a team is a whole nother step. And I think that well, I know because I talk to people that they're struggling with making these transitions and figuring out the timing and you know, is it at the institution where they already are or is it somewhere else? And I just wonder if you have anything to offer along those lines.
1: Yeah, I feel for you about making all of those transition points and have been there and know how hard it can be. I was really fortunate making a lot of those transition points up until now with Cornell. Uh, I've been with the institution for pretty much my whole career, 10 and a half years. That's very and
0: unusual, as you know.
1: Yes. But one of the that was helpful in making some of those transitions, going back to what I was talking about, about collaboration and having trust and relationships across the organization. you know, One of the things that allowed me to go from a researcher role into that frontline role, which is not the most common of pathways, was I had really good relationships with the people who were in and running the New York City office at Cornell at the time, right? And so when they thought about who, did, who might they wanna bring into a junior gift officer role, well, like I had the trust. I didn't have the experience, but I had trust, which might be more valuable in those instances. So, you know, maybe for people who are thinking about trying to make those transitions or trying to think about what that looks like in the next few years, this is where I think not keeping your head down and just staying in quote your lane is really important. I mean, you have to do really well right at the job you have, but you need to be picking your head up and making connections across the organization. And in some roles, how that's structured can be really easy. Like in prospect research at Cornell, it was a centralized team. So I got to work with every major gift officer and every principal gift officer. So the uh, opportunity to connect was embedded in the role. So that made it a little easier, though I still had to be proactive in taking that beyond the work product. Uh, But if you're not in something that allows you that, or you're embedded in a school within a university, you probably should pick your head up and look around and try to make connections and just try to learn about what other people do. I feel like that is kind of how you get started in making those connections and building the trust. And so then when those opportunities become available, people might think back to say, oh, I've had really great conversations about this person. They have a perspective. They're good at their current job. Right. And those are the elements that might allow you to make a transition to something you haven't done before. Definitely. Completely
0: agree with that.
1: Now, if you have to move, right? I think you have to, this is where in those first interviews, if you you know, you're going through a screening interview, you know, I would press on the values of the organization because that's going to tell you maybe how open they are to taking a risk on a candidate. And I think I was probably a take a risk candidate for uh, Stanford and I appreciate them and my boss uh, being willing to do that. Um, but it's I, mutual it's, risk, though. It's mutual risk. But I but I think, you know, there are certain organizations that are going to be more OK with that and are going to say it's OK to take someone who has potential and we're going to help them along the way. Uh, and so you want to be asking those questions, right? Like how open is the organization to um, new ideas or new people or what kind of risks does the organization like to take? Right. You want to hear that out um, because even if you get through the interview process, you don't want to, and, and you know, it's a transition job for you. It's that next level. You don't want to get there and then not have them have the the patience and the understanding about what what you need to be successful.
0: Yeah, that's why I think it's so important to be really open and honest from the beginning, because that way you're both going to be fulfilled when you ultimately get the role and go there. Because if you're just trying to say everything that you think they want to hear to get the job, when you get there, you're not going to be happy.
1: No, absolutely not. <laughs> you need to just be honest. Um, you know, I I was that way through the whole interview. You know, at one point, someone had asked me, what's your experience with principal gifts? and I had to say. None. I mean, I work with principal gift officers, um, but did I work on principal gifts? No. Right. And so I was honest about that in the interview process. And even as I got started and working with colleagues, just saying like, here's where I, here's my gap or here's why I came out here, you know, and what I wanted to learn. Yeah. I think the honesty is important. And I think people respect that rather than you try to cover it up. And if they don't respect yeah. it again, that's a place where that's not a good match, right? If you need to grow and you're okay with that, it's not a good match.
0: When I got my offer, I said, I'm scared. This is a much bigger job than I have now. And it's going to stretch me in a lot of ways. And the response to that was good. You should be. And I would be worried if you weren't, you know? (laughs) like So I think that's a great sign.
1: I think that says a lot about Yale and the culture.
0: I think I love the questions that you put out that you talked through, but tell me more about developing the relationships with the Stanford colleagues, like through the interview process, but also like in the early days, like how has it been figuring out a whole new culture and institution people-wise?
1: You know, this is where being a gift officer is really helpful. <laughs> it's just about like going out and meeting a bunch of people, you know, here at what I found at Stanford what was nice is I think the cultures between Cornell and Stanford are quite, they translate pretty easily and started to write, try to meet everyone. Like I spent the first week going through like classes and trainings and just trying to get that out of the way because I knew where the real work happens is finding all those partners who impact your success and exactly getting to know them in that transactional way, but just say like, what is your story with Stanford? What have you come to appreciate about the organization? What do you learn? What do you What are your challenges, right? Try to understand where everyone is situationally. And I think getting that whole picture helps.
0: And now that you're nearly a year in, are the people that you thought were going to be, you know, close colleagues or people that you work with all the time, those people, or did it turn out a little different?
1: Everyone here impresses me because they have such a strong work ethic and they do right by the prospect and they do right by the institution and they do right by the team. And I find this pretty true in every interaction I have. And I think like that common set of values from where people are operating has made it really effective to have great partnerships. So, uh, you know, we work very closely with our principal gifts team, but I think, um, you know, other teams that are, we work closely with our, like our donor relations team and then there's a central university major gifts team. Um, So all of those people are probably the most common collaborators, but what's nice is you know, I have regular check-ins with my counterpart at the humanities and sciences school, right? Um, Just because our worlds do cross over. And so it's just like nice to keep that pathway of communication open.
0: As people think about making the next step, whether it's at where they are now or going to somewhere else, what do you think are, like, we had kind of talked about this before, but like, what do you think are the I don't know, maybe five things that they should be considering when they're looking at that job description?
1: I think one needs to think about their priorities and not in both life and career. And I I think that sounds maybe corny. And of course I would do that. But with priorities means you have to think about trade-offs. And so it can't just be, oh, this job is, it pays more than my current one, or it lets me manage people. And I, I can't do that here. You have to I'm going to be a Debbie Downer here. You have to think about all the things you're going to give up, and that, and that when you change an institution and job. And I'm sorry to say some of this to you as you go into no, it. I'm
0: captivated. <laughs>
1: you're it, you're opting into uncomfortable feelings that we normally avoid. You no longer know everyone, uh, so it might be lonely. You don't know how, where the pencil sharpener is, so you're uncertain. You don't have the long-standing track record or relationship, so your your currency is low right those are uncomfortable things and that's not to say you shouldn't do it it's just to say are you in the you know your own psychological space that those are trade-offs worth making so if you feel secure that you can handle those or you have a roadmap to how to address those that's that's great and that probably means you're ready to do that. But if you think you're going to go and have all the things you had at your last institution, especially if you've been there for a while, that, that's just not true. No matter if you come in, no matter what level you come in, in an organization, even if you're the top person, right, you're now walking in. You still don't know anything about um, the systems probably or whatever. And so just you have to be ready for that. So that's why I say prioritization. So. Think about what matters most to you and then what trade-offs you make. So if you're willing to trade that discomfort off, that's great. That probably means you're ready to think about it. I don't, I guess I don't want to sound too depressing, but I think some, I've noticed people have only almost too much of the rosy view when they change jobs. Like if I change jobs, it will fix everything else. And that's not true. It's going to change Mm -hmm. some things and change others. And it's all about calibrating and then, having the plan to deal with those trade-offs.
0: What you're really talking about is the intangibles and like you were saying, like the currency You know, you have to prove yourself, you have to build trust and all of those things take time. I'm also interested though, in some of the tangibles, like who's your boss going to be? What is that connection? Like what is that person's style? And, and that is hard to figure out in interviews, especially if you're on zoom. So like I went there in person did you fly out I did so I think that's really important also like who's going to be in your portfolio like is there high opportunity for success within the pool that you're working in
1: yeah those are all good questions and things to ask and you know sometimes our interview process just in life boggles my mind that you're supposed to make this big decision based on like a few hours of conversation yeah. Um, so it it still strikes me as nuts. But that's where I think like making the most of your time to- your question time is I-, I would say getting to the values and how the place works. I have more confidence in that. Okay, you don't want to hand me a portfolio. I mean this might be overconfidence, but I built one once. I think I think I know the of how to do that again. But I need to know what the rules are, right? So if Stanford had told me, well, you can't talk to anyone unless we give you the okay, I would know that would be very hard to build a portfolio myself. And so I would really have to ask about, well, what are you expecting to do to help build a portfolio, right? So the, you have to, that's why I start with values. That's why I start with like, how did the, how did the rules of the road work? Because that gives you the understanding of how you can build your own success rather than focus it externally right you like, so much of your success is you trying to figure that out
0: so to be clear what you're saying is every interview is 100% two sided people should be fully interviewing the person
1: who's interviewing them if you ever get to an interview and someone's like asks what are your questions and you go oh i don't think i have any you've just like wasted an opportunity right and it doesn't need to be your hiring manager in fact sometimes you get more information out of you know, you you'll usually interview with peers or maybe partners or others or a support team. You know, they have really valuable insight into how the place works on the ground, and that's where you should really get into some of the nitty gritty about how portfolios work, how are things assigned, what, um, you know, what is the organization's uh, culture like? Right, those are people who are going to have a interesting, I think, and valuable read. And so, again. You should always be asking. And even if you ask the same question of multiple people, that's actually probably a great little experiment. To see I was going to say,
0: yeah, that was a tip that I got and I did it and I got consistent answers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a couple of questions you like to make sure you ask everybody?
0: Expectations. I like to ask about working style. I like to ask about how do you handle a difficult conversation internally and externally because all of those things are going to happen inevitably we're all going to mess up at some point and you want to know that this person's going to support you through the mistakes Mm -hmm. too not just the successes
1: Mm -hmm. yep yeah I think those are good ones to press on
0: There's, you know, 101 things to think about on the professional side, as you think about making a move, but also literally moving. And so I want to talk about the personal side of going to a new community and what that feels like. I, I don't really know if I've ever heard anyone talk about this. I moved around growing up, so I saw it myself, but... It feels like it's happening less now in the world of Zoom and remote, and it feels almost old-fashioned for me to be packing up my apartment and moving.
1: Yeah, I feel like there's data showing decreased mobility actually in the country um, for a whole host of reasons, but yeah, moving, (laughs) oh, I grew up in the same house for forever, um, and then moved to New York City, thought I would never leave, so (laughs) I actually haven't been super mobile mm-hmm. myself again I think like understanding being clear-eyed about trade-offs so mm-hmm. you know my now fiance and I I was asking him to move across the country and I only looked at the opportunity because he had said you could look at you know, we could look at the bay like he,
0: right must
1: he envision living a ton of different places that but, was
0: pre-approved
1: right that was pre-approved <laughs> in some ways but then when it comes down to it and you have the offer and you're thinking about it and it's asking somebody to move for you. like That was probably the biggest thing in my psychology I had to think through is this is the first time I'm asking someone to pick up their life and move. And we didn't know if his work would be okay with it, right, and thankfully they were. But I remember saying to him, if you are at a point where it's just too risky, it's too uncomfortable, we can stay. I will not hold that against you. There will be no regrets. We will figure something out. I, I mean, I was happy at Cornell too. So it wasn't yeah. like I was running away. Um, there are opportunities in New York City. So I assured him like everything will be fine. And actually I think, you know, in a weird way that kind of gave us the trust that we could take that step together. My priority there was my relationship, not the job. And I would have walked away from the job if needed. So I don't know, again, know what you want, and then be willing yeah. to walk away from anything that's not that. Now, on the plus side, it was really great to come out here. And I think actually, in some ways, it made us stronger. Because well, you got
0: engaged.
1: You got engaged, yes. So, um, yay. Thank you. You know, we had met in our early 30s. And so we were more established. We'd both been in New York a while. And we had our lives separately, kind of, when we met, right? And now we've come out here and we're creating like our life. And so it's just actually kind of given us a unique opportunity that I don't know that we fully anticipated at first, but it's been, it's been fun. And it's been what we call it our adventure, Uh, you know, because we're very open-minded. We don't know how long we'll be here. Maybe we'll be here forever. Maybe we'll go back to New York. Maybe something else will come along. And so that part's been, again, like really, really great. It's been fulfilling
0: you're right. Like when you're asking someone to move that there's a whole nother layer there. And then also, you know, you don't have kids Mm -hmm. at the moment and that's a whole nother layer too of like their education and all of that. For me, I'm a single person going and in a way, so I'm not asking anyone to move, but I'm also going into this really feeling like I want to make this work. I want to build a new community and have my own adventure as well, because when you're making a decision that big, it's not flippant and it's not temporary. So that's been something that I've been thinking about a lot is like, how can I rebuild my life? Like, what are things that I can do right out the gate to feel comfortable, to feel like I'm at home? And I know that will take time.
1: I came from a group of friends in New York that they, we were family, right? We saw each other multiple times every week. Yeah. It it was tight. So to come out here and neither of us really knew anyone, that was a big risk. We had a a plan. I mean, not a concrete plan, but basically we just said, we're going to have to say yes to everything. So you meet someone, they invite you out. You say yes. You get invited to a party. You're tired. You say yes. And you go and it worked. And, you know, we have made a lot of friends here, actually, but though on the plus side, I will give California this. uh, So it's easier to meet people here. They are
0: outside and happy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're, they're, it's a different vibe than New York. And I would say, easier to make friends uh, out here. So that's been in this community, but had to be very conscious. I mean, starting a new job. I don't know about you when you start a new job. it's, It's tiring. My new boss actually told me she said, you know, when you start a new job, you sometimes you're just like physically tired because you're learning so much and you're on. And so that makes it hard to sometimes want to say yes to being really social, but too bad. Like you have to go do it because I think the flip side is if you don't do that in a month or two and you don't know anyone in the new community, you risk feeling lonely. So think ahead. Right. What you're going to have to, you might encounter based on today's decisions and and plan accordingly, I guess.
0: One of the things I've learned how to do in recent years is how to be alone and be comfortable alone and whatever. So I just think it's going to be different. I think if I try to compare it, I won't, I will be unhappy.
1: Yes. Yeah. I think that's the right. Don't, don't try to compare it. You're don't try to compare New York City to anything in this country. That's very <laughs> to Everywhere else, I think. The the plus side, I think, is when you push yourself out of the bubble, out of your bubble, as it is now, is mm-hmm. you give your chance, yourself the chance to meet new people, to learn new things, to learn new things about yourself. And I think that's also really great.
0: Yeah, I've had people tell me that you need to give it a whole year. So that's why it's Absolutely. kind of amazing that you're at that point right now.
1: Well, only eight months into San Francisco, but yes they are just ups and downs, right? That's just- normal. But you just
0: said you have a lot of friends, so-
1: Again, we're lucky. Yeah, we're lucky, but that, say yes, you have to get out there, yep. right? Yeah. You know, meet, making friends is what New York taught me, right? You just have to like meet, they're like super connectors, I think, in every network, the people who know everyone. And if you meet one of those people, they'll connect to you like a billion- That people. is
0: so true. Yeah. And I love what you said about like no matter the outcome, you've gained this experience. You've gained this context. Like I think context is so important as you build a career of knowing, oh, this is similar to this thing or different to this thing. I like this because of this. That mm-hmm. you know, you don't know the questions to ask if you don't have experiences that show you a different viewpoint.
1: That's a better framework than trying to search for some kind of perfect role, which again, I just
0: doesn't exist. I don't- Obviously, we're both doing it. So we, I guess, endorse it. But what would you say to someone who's thinking about taking a risk and making a big move?
1: Kind of where I started and saying, like, know your priorities and then know your trade-offs and be not just comfortable, be confident in them. I think when you do that, you'll know what's right. And you won't feel like you're bargaining away something. How about you? What would you suggest to people?
0: I think that more people should do this. I think that it's a really exciting way to to look at this field. That it can bring you to different places in the world to live and experience not only with the travel when we see donors, but with lifestyles. And that again, that was the way that I grew up. You know, experiencing different school systems. I it's not like I moved every other year, but you know, we moved a few times, and I do think that impacted who I became as a person and helped me build resiliency and things like that. So, we'll check in in a year. Hopefully, right, I'm right, saying I true. have a lot of friends, Christopher.
1: Yeah, yeah. can <laughs> I just endorse what you just said because I think the it's like just the right amount of culture shock <laughs> to take yourself out of somewhere and put yourself in somewhere new. I used to like traveling alone to like countries where I didn't speak the language, which a lot of people don't think about or don't want to do but I always encourage and I think just moving somewhere too that isn't like where you've been yes I think it can make you like a better person and again teach you I just want to like plus one on on what you just said there
0: good good well you were the first or the second episode Christopher and so you've answered what do you know for sure and I remember what you said you said that success is not possible alone and that you need your colleagues which you also said in a different form earlier in our conversation today so i know you still know that for sure but is there anything else that you want to share that you know for sure in the context of making moves or just life as of may 2023
1: patience is really important and I am not someone who's ever been known for patience. But I would say when you're making the transition, you have to be really patient with yourself, with people around you, with the situation. And try to figure out again in those interviews, are you going to a place that will be patient with you? You're engaging in the right process, right? It, again, it's like fundraising. Like, you know the process, like discovery. If you reach out to enough people, people will say yes to meetings, you will find them. And I think that's true about picking up your life career, personal, otherwise, and moving it. It's, it's that it's, it's a transition. And to your point, it's probably going to take at least a year. Everyone told me at Stanford, I could be the new kid for at least three years. So I'm holding on to that. So, you know, you have to give yourself that patience and grace, and you have to make sure you have the people around you that have also agreed, basically, that you will get patience from them as well. And, you know, that's something I'm really thankful to have here is my dean, my boss, my colleagues around me, no one's even seemed frustrated when I make a mistake that is due to no- me not knowing something or being new. You know, they just kind of understand and they help me learn and we grow together, I guess. But that's that's a really important thing, I think, when you're going to take a big risk like that.
0: I'm happy that you're happy there. I'm grateful that I could share this moment of transition with you today. And
1: Congratulations. <laughs> with- <laughs> We'll all be cheering for you and so excited to see, to hear what comes. I always love that you bring your own experiences into these conversations. And so it's fun to learn with you now that since you've had the podcast, I think you've you've been through Columbia and Chapin and and now Yale. And so it's fun to learn through you about these places as well.
0: There's a lot coming ahead. Season 11 is going to be great. And I will continue to share... (laughs)
1: Honestly
0: and openly, thank Thank you so much.